Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. I'm going to read from Ephesians 2, and when I'm finished, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, and you may respond, thanks be to God. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved." And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast." For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Well, good morning. It's nice to see you're here at New King in 2022. I appreciate that you came and you braved the weather and you drove through the snow and you made it. I was talking in the earlier service about the people that are home watching. They're in bed. They've got the cat. They've got their hot chocolate. They're all snuggled up, but not you. You guys came and you made it here. So I'm, I'm thrilled to have you here. Um, and we are in uh, 2022 now, so Happy New Year to all of you. And as we look back at 2021, we all have to confess and admit that it was a hard year in so many ways. There were so many challenges, so many struggles, so many difficulties, and now we are in 2022, and it's time for us to start off on a new foot, maybe on new ground, and that ground is who you are in Christ. I could have done a sermon this morning about um, making some great resolutions as Christians, and that's a good thing to do, to say, hey, I'm going to read the Word more. I am going to get into a habit of that. I am going to meet with other Christians more. I'm going to encourage people. I'm going to pray more. I could have done all that. But you know what? I wanted to do something more fundamental than that. I wanted to focus on who we are in Christ, because our identity determines our thoughts and our actions. 
So that's the plan this morning. Let's pray, and we'll, we'll jump right into it. Father God, I thank you that we can be here. I thank you for your word, Father. I pray that you would bless it. I pray that you would have us come to an understanding more clearly of who we are in Christ that will allow us to do the works that you have prepared for us before the foundations of the world. Encourage us this morning, Father. Help us. Help me as I bring the word from this passage. I pray your Holy Spirit would open our ears and our hearts to the message that you have for us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, big picture. I like to start with big picture always. Big picture, Ephesians is a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. And most scholars and Bible teachers will say it's divided into two parts, the first half and the second half. The first half is the first three chapters. And in those three chapters, Paul describes our identity in Christ, who we are. First three chapters. The second three chapters, starting in chapter 4, does this. It says, now that you know who you are, now that you know your identity, here's how you live your life. Here's how you act. Who you are, how you live. Those two parts. So we come to the second chapter of Ephesians and the first ten verses And that theme is right in there. It focuses mostly on our identity. And so what I want to bring for you today is an exposition of this 10-verse passage. I want to expound upon, tell you what it means, and then tell you what to do with it. I have three applications for us this morning. So Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, three parts. Verses 1 through 3, who we were. Verses 4 through 7, who we are now. Verses 8 and 9, how we got there. And then verse 10, what we are to do. So who we are, who we were, who we are how we got there, what we are to do, and then a little application at the end. That's the plan. And the audience that Paul was writing to was a Christian church. He was writing to Christians. He was writing to believers, and that's the approach I'm going to take today. It's written to believers, those who have put their trust in Jesus, those who have faith in Jesus, right? Followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, those that are saved. So let's jump right in. Verses 1 through 3, who we were. Paul says, and you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Again, notice the verb tense. You were. You once walked. This is who you were before Christ entered your life. So the description is we were dead. So, that term is a metaphor. It doesn't mean that we were physically dead. It means that we were spiritually dead. You were dead. So, that spiritual death 
there's two uh, ramifications of that. The first is, if I was to die physically, right? If I was to drop dead here on the, on the stage, right? Right now, which I know is possible, <laughs> at my extended great age, if I was to die, I would leave you. I would be gone from here. I would leave my wife, I would leave my kids, I would leave my family, I would leave all my possessions, all my old sobs I got at home, I would leave all the stuff I've accumulated, all the, my ba- everything would be gone. I would be separate from it, yeah? Gone, separate. That's the physical world. In the spiritual world, it means, death means we are separate from God. There is a great gulf between us, Right? Separation. It also means, secondly, if we're dead, if I was to drop dead here, right, and I'm out, right? I'm, I'm feet up, right? I don't know. Completely gone. It means that I have no vital signs. No heartbeat. No respiration. No brain activity, which I know you may question at this point in time anyway. No vital signs. I'm completely dead. I am unable to respond. Yeah? So not only am I separate from God, but being dead means that I am unable of my own doing to respond to him. I cannot respond. I'm dead. So when I'm dead to God, I am separate from him, and I can't respond to him. There's no vital sign, no respiration, no heartbeat. No brain activity, nothing. Dead. And it, the scripture says that I am dead in trespasses and sins. That's how I'm described. I was dead in trespasses and sins. The term trespasses is also a, a bit of a graphic word. And when we look at the root of it, It has the idea of the imagery of slipping and falling. I slip and I fall. It's like walking on the ice out here today. I slip and I fall. In other words, in the spiritual world, it means that I no longer can be upright before God. I cannot be upright before him. I cannot stand before him. I am in these trespasses. They, they characterize me, and I am no, I am, it's not possible for me to stand before God. I've fallen. And as a TV commercial says, I've fallen and I can't get up. The word sins is a different image. The word sin means to miss the mark. So I, I like to think of it back in my day we, when we had gym class, we actually had archery back in those days, and there were these big targets, and you had to stand back about 20 feet, and you had to try to shoot the bullseye. None of us could do it. First of all, the bow and arrows back then were total junk. They were terrible, and we just couldn't. We didn't have the ability to, to hit the mark, and that's how sins describe us. We've fallen short We cannot measure up. We are unable to meet the requirements of a holy and righteous God. So we are dead in trespasses and sins. We cannot stand before him, and we cannot please him. Trespasses and sins. That's what that's talking about. They both convey the idea of failure. The phrase suggests that trespasses and sins both cause death 
and are the evidence of death. So it's like a chicken and egg. Which came first? I don't know. We, we, we live out our lives in, 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 in this death of sin and trespasses. That's the evidence. But we can't please God because we are sinners and trespassers. It's both. It goes both ways. That describes us. And it also says um, that we uh, walked in them. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Yeah? We were literally the walking dead. Zombies. Yeah? Anybody like zombie movies? There's two kinds of zombies in the world, right? Anybody know what the two are? There's the fast-moving zombies who really, they can catch you and they run after you and they, you know, they usually want to eat you. And then there's the slow-moving, kind of lurchy kind of zombies in the world and they just kind of, and you can kind of push them off a little bit or hit them with a shovel or whatever you do. <laughs> That's what we were. We were the walking dead. And the next verses go on and describe what that looked like. Right? When you watch a zombie movie, and I'm not really saying you should watch too many zombie movies, but when you do, the zombies are always, there's something inside that, that compels them, that drives them to, to, to do certain things. And so we're the walking dead, and there's stuff inside us that compels us. And so the next couple of verses expound upon what it looks like to be a zombie, the walking dead. Number one, we follow the course of this world. You see that? Verse 2, in which you once walked, following the course of this world. The word course is the word uh, for age. The age of the cosmos, the world that we live in, the age that we now live in. The age that you and I live in, in 2022, what is it? What is the age that we live in? What drives the world? What do we see around us? I started making out a list of stuff. And I got tired of that really quick. And I came up with a sentence. Here's my sentence. Tell me what you think of this. The age that we live in, the course that we are on is this. Utter moral corruption and departure from God that leads to the continual breaking down of all barriers such that we are free to serve ourselves in any lust or passion I can dream up. Does that not describe the course of this age, the course of the world that we live in? Day after day, month after month, we see this world going on this course. It's the course we used to follow, yeah? We used to. This is the past. That's the course we used to follow. Following the course of this world. And then secondly, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. There seems to be a spirit in the world today behind the scenes that we can't see, driving the course of this world. John Piper says this. 
there is an alien power all around us, an evil influence so widespread and so pervasive that it simply must be in the air. And we feel it, don't we? We feel the prince of the power of the air. And what does he do? This power, this Satan, this accuser, this deceiver, this murderer. He leads us to disobedience. See the term there, it says? At work in the sons, the children, the sons and daughters of disobedience. Satan leads us to disobedience. And how does he do it? He tempts us. And we respond. He lays something in front of us and says, Oh, go ahead and do that. No one's going to know. It doesn't matter. You know what? You need to do this for yourself. And then you go and you disobey. And Satan turns immediately and he accuses you. And you feel guilt and you feel shame and you feel, and Satan whispers in your ear, who do you think you are? You think you're a Christian? You think you're a believer? Look at what you just did. And he attacks our identity, doesn't he? And we're dragged down. And we think there's no hope. The prince of the power of the air. Thirdly, look at the next verse. Verse 3. Among whom we all once lived. Again, past tense. In the passions of our flesh. Carrying out the desires of the body. And of the mind. Acting or living out our thoughts and our beliefs, our desires and our passions, but apart from God, yeah? Remember the separation part, we're dead. So we're apart from Him. So we live out every evil thing that we want to do. We're controlled by the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world sets the course, the devil tempts us, and the flesh responds, doesn't it? That was us before. And what is the result? At the end of verse 3, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. There's two aspects to this idea, children of wrath. So if we don't believe in Jesus, if we reject him, if we don't believe in him, the scripture says in John chapter 3, if we believe in the Son, we have eternal life. If we disobey the Son, which is, an, which is a synonym for believing in him, if we disobey the Son, it says the wrath of God abides upon us. And so what that means is, is that God's indignation, his utter disapproval, his holy judgment, is upon us. We are judged by God. That's our position. 
but it also means something else. If we are children of wrath, if we are sons and daughters of wrath, we're characterized by it. I call this the angry baby syndrome. So I've got a grandson. I hope my wife doesn't get mad at this application, but I've got a grandson who is the cutest baby in the entire world. He is the smartest baby. He is the most advanced baby. He is absolutely the best baby that you will ever meet. However, if he doesn't get his way, if he's hungry, if he's tired, he will scream his head off. He gets so mad. And my son, who's his father, says that. You cannot imagine how mad he gets. I've seen it. He gets mad. Isn't that the world we live in today? In all my years, I have never seen such anger before in the world, such rage of people. We see it on the news every day, angry baby syndrome. Everybody is mad. Everybody is mad at everything, whether it's road rage or even a mask. You walk in with a mask, someone's mad at you. You walk in without the mask, somebody else is mad at you. You can never do the right thing. There is a rage and an anger that permeates our society like I've never seen before. Children of wrath. It's upon us. I feel it. I see it. And quite frankly, it scares me. It's a bleak picture, isn't it? The walking dead. <laughs> are you... Are you Fast, Luke, or are you one of those slow-moving kind of zombies? Were you, which one were you? You're a quick one. You're a skateboarder. You're, you control. This is what we were. Now, listen, this is what we were. Controlled by the world, the flesh, and the devil, dead in our trespasses and sins. And the main point is we were dead. We were utterly unable, completely incapable of saving ourselves. We were dead. And this description is not to make us feel guilty. We are not here this morning in 2022, the first sermon that you hear, to make you feel guilty, to have you go out of here and wallow in guilt. No. The reason that Paul lays this all out in such graphic terms is to show us the difference. What we were to what we are now. That's why he does it. So we, I'm not going to leave you in what you were. We're not going to be done here. I'm not going to say amen and we'll go out the door and say, ah, there's no hope. It's an infinite contrast of what we were without God and what we now are in Christ because God has acted. Do you see verse 4? But God, oh my. When you see that in Scripture, but God... It is God that acted. It is God that came in. It is God that initiates. It is God that reaches out. It is God that saves us. It is God that makes us alive. And he acts out of who he is. Identity. His identity. And what do these verses tell us? He is rich in love. He is great in mercy. And his 
grace is immeasurable. So let's look at that. We are saved by grace. We are rescued from the world, the flesh, and the devil. We didn't do it. We didn't deserve it. Look at verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy. Where do you keep your, your money? Now, this is just a personal question. I'm just kind of curious where it is. You, back pocket, walk it. Is it in your coat pocket? Where do you keep your money? Where do you keep your riches? Huh? Do, do you have it in the bank, some money in the bank? Maybe you're a 401k person. You've got some in the stock market. Anybody Bitcoin here, a little Bitcoin? Huh? Where's your money? My wife always wants me to take the money out of the stock market and bury it in the backyard. She's like so afraid that it's going to be gone, right? Not that we put all our trust in, in filthy riches, but, you know, we kind of want to live in retirement a little bit, right? She always, she, let's get it out of the stock market. Let's just, I said, what do you want to do with it? We just bury it in the backyard. Where's your money? Where's your riches? Look at me. Look at me. God's riches are in his grace and mercy and kindness, which he lavishes on us. That's where God's riches are, all because of who he is, his identity. He, he feeds out of who he is and lavishes those things on us. Even when we were dead. Look at what the verse says. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And then Paul throws in, by grace you have been saved. In your Bibles, it's set off by a couple of, of dashes. It's like Paul, he says, he can't, I can't even talk about it. I can't even believe it. By grace you have been saved. God's grace. We have been rescued. We have been resuscitated. We are alive. We have been rescued from the world, the flesh, and the devil. We didn't do it. We didn't deserve it. It is God that does it. And then now verse 6. I want to talk about verse 6. A fascinating verse. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now this again, this is who you are. This is your identity. You have been raised up with Christ. You have been seated with him at God's right hand. How does that work? What does that mean today? How do we understand that? It's interesting. Paul talks about this very thing in the first chapter. He prays that the, the Christians would know in verse 19 of chapter 1 what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. We're to know the power that God has to raise him and to seat him. And the exact same terminology is used for us. We have been raised. We have been seated with Christ. What's true of Jesus is true of us. Do you believe that? I can't scarcely believe it. I can barely believe it. I can hope to believe it. If Jesus is raised, we are raised. If Jesus is seated at God's right hand, somehow we are there too today, right now. I don't know how that works. I don't know how that all works. We talk about it in theological terms. We say, this is inaugurated eschatology. 
Oh, boy. Time to go to sleep, right? No, don't go to sleep. Eschatology, the study of future things, inaugurated. It's begun. The kingdom of God has begun. The kingdom of God is around us. The kingdom of God is working in some way which I don't understand. We are glorified somehow with Christ. We are with him. We are seated with him. It has begun. Yes, it's future. Yes, it's not quite now. But somehow we are there already. You and I are so identified with Christ that where he is, that's where we are too. Ah, who is worthy of such things? When you walk out today, you think about that. When you're driving home, I am seated in the heavenlies with Christ. And his posture matters. He says he's seated. He's sitting down. You ever notice that? Uh, scholars say that's his session. They have a technical term for it. his session. He's seated. What does that mean? First off, it means the work is complete. He is seated at God's right hand. There's no more standing. The priest had to stand and do all these offerings all the time. No more. It's done. The work of salvation has been completed. And Jesus sits. The work of salvation is completed, and we sit. He has done it, and we're identified with him in glory somehow. And that work will be completed. One day, you and I are going to hear a shout, and we are going to be raised up, and our bodies are going to be changed and transformed to be like his body, and then we will see him as he is, and our salvation will be complete. But it's begun. Do you not see? It's begun. Chapter 1 talks about the Spirit given to us as a, down pos- as, a down, as a down payment, as a deposit, guaranteeing the future. The Spirit is the deposit within us that guarantees the future blessing. So it's begun. Somehow you and I are seated already with Jesus. And verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The coming ages. The immeasurable riches of the grace of the living God will be lavished on us for all eternity, we will be the recipients of his kindness and grace as we rule and worship and enjoy him forever. Now, how did we get there? Huh? How did we get there? That's where verses 8 and 9 come in. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We struggle with this. Honestly, we struggle with grace. We don't believe it. 
we just don't believe it. We think in our minds, yeah, we think about the grace, but you know what? I, I responded to it. I believed it. I, I chose wisely. So let's just think about if we were to die at this moment, and we, as Scripture describes so clearly, we go up to the pearly gates, right? That's all in Scripture. And, we, and Peter's there as a gatekeeper, right? And he has a few questions for us. No, that's not in Scripture. But there's a lot of jokes about that, right? So let's pretend we go up to, to, to the pearly gates, and Peter's there, and Peter says, okay, Eric, what are you, what are you doing here? Why, why, why should I let you in? And I say, what do I say? Well, you know, I made the right choice. I picked the right side. I, I, I believed in God, and I believed in Jesus. So, yeah, I, I was the one. I, I picked the right team. I picked the Patriots. <laughs> right? I, I picked the right one. And, and, and bring me in to everlasting glory. No. No, no, no. Don't think that way. That's not how Scripture describes it. The very faith that we have is the gift from God. He gives us that faith. If we were to say, I made the right choice, we would go through eternity with a boast. We'd hang out with all our buddies up in heaven and say, yeah, I knew Alabama was going to win the national championship. I, sorry, man. <laughs> George is going down. I, I knew it. And we would have some little boast within ourselves. That's not how heaven is. No one shall boast. The only boasting that we will do is in the work that Christ did within us. That's what these scriptures are trying to show us. And we can't, we can't understand it. We think, we think faith is kind of like this, that we're drowning in the water. And we're starting to go down for the third time. And, and God throws us a life ring. And we have the ability to grab it. No, we don't. We're drowned it, right? We're dead in, in trespasses and sins. We don't even have that ability to do that in our own self. That's what Scripture says. We think, oh, it's a gift. I have to accept it. I have to receive it. We don't even have that ability. We're dead. Dead man can't reach out and take anything. So, how does it work? This is a great mystery. If we are dead in trespasses and sins, as Scripture de describes us, that means we have no life. Flatline. Unable to respond in any way. No heartbeat. No respiration. No brain activity. Nothing. Nothing. So how does it work? So when you give someone CPR, there's three things they do. They clear the airway, right? They give a rescue breath, and then they start a heart massage. They do the compression, the heart compression on your chest, right? So here's how it works for Christians in the spiritual world. We are dead in trespasses, and there's no life in us. And God, through the Holy Spirit, makes us alive. He opens our airway. He breathes in a rescue breath. 
he massages our heart and the blood begins to flow. And all of a sudden we come to life and we choke and we spit and we believe. You see, it is God's gift of faith that enables us to respond. We respond, but it is only because the Spirit has made us alive. That's how it works. The Spirit has made us alive. And we put our faith in him, and we believe. And we are bound to Jesus. We're raised from death to life, and we ascend to the heavenlies, and we're seated at God's right hand with Jesus, who is crowned with glory and honor. And what do we do with this? What do we do with all this? Verse 10. We are his workmanship. Again, the thought of it was his work that did it. It was his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are the result of God's activity. He made us. He formed us. He created us. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. If God had decided to, he could have saved us and immediately taken us to heaven to be with him, yeah? He could have done that, right? But he didn't. He didn't. He could have saved us and taken us up. We could have all just gone up in a moment. The moment we believed, the moment that the Spirit gave us life and we put our trust in Jesus, he could have taken us up to be with him. Boy, that would have been a lot easier, wouldn't it? He leaves us here. Why? Why? We are his workmanship. He created us. We are not a piece of art to be hung on a wall. We have work to do. Somehow, in the counsels of God from eternity past, he decided, I'm going to leave them there. I'm going to use them. I am going to prepare work for them to do while they're left here. We are God's workmanship. We are created for purpose. We are created to be active and productive for the kingdom of God. We have responsibility here to do the works that God prepared for us individually to do. The greatest fulfillment that you will ever have in this life is to do the work that God prepared for you. And for each of us, it's different. We all have different things to do in the kingdom of God. And I can tell you, as a teacher of the Bible, God prepared that for me. I used to struggle saying that. I felt like, oh, you dumbhead, don't say that. That feels prideful and arrogant and stupid and all that. And I would be nervous about saying that. But it took me a long time to come to that because I am happiest. I feel the most contentment in my life when I have the Bible open and I am teaching other believers. That's the work that God prepared for me, one of the works that God prepared for me. 
I feel the greatest fulfillment. Now, I go away sometimes and think, oh, why did I say that? And why didn't I say this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am doing what God wants me to do. What does God want for you? He has prepared things for you. And there's different courses of life. There's different seasons of life. There's times when you're a mom, you're a father. There's times when you're a worker out in the world. But he has prepared for you work to do in the kingdom. You were created for this. You have purpose in your life created in Christ Jesus. Now, that's all great. That's all fine. And you may say to yourself, oh man, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. I, I really, I'm not perfect. I, I, this all seems so theoretical and so perfect and all that. My life doesn't look like that. Yep, that's true. My life doesn't look like that always either. I struggle and I'm discouraged and I have a hard time. John Newton was a fellow that lived in the 1600s. I, uh, I knew him a bit at the end of his life. And he said this in response to these verses. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in eternity. Yet, I am not what I used to be. By the grace of God, I am what I am. I am God's workmanship. I have place. I have purpose. I am the recipient of his love and his grace and his mercy and his kindness. And I have work to do. That's who I am. I'm not perfect. By the grace of God, I am what I am. So, Time for three applications. What do we do with this? Number one, remember who we were. Live as who we are. Remember who we were. Live as who we are. So it's interesting. After this passage in verse 11, Paul says, therefore, remember who you were. Verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. He asks us to remember where we came from. He doesn't say, go back and live your life as who you were. We have permission to leave that behind us. We remember it. We don't live in it. And why do we remember it? So we can move on from it. We can move on from our past and recognize that the past is not who we are. We need no longer be dragged down by it. Second, so that we can properly express our gratitude and thanksgiving and worship to God who made us alive and created us in Christ Jesus. So in our community group on Tuesday night last year, we were studying this passage, and Lynn came, and Lynn, Lynn had a, 
a song for us to do, and a little activity for us to do. And what we did was we wrote on pieces of paper who we were, who we used to be, our identity before Christ. I was dead in trespasses and sins. I was controlled by the world, the flesh, and the devil. I lived a life of shame and guilt. I was selfish. I was, I was betrayed by all these things. We wrote it down, and then at one point, we balled it up, and we threw it away, and we said, I am no longer that in Christ, and we wrote down that we were recipients of his grace and mercy and love and kindness. That's who we are. We're done with that, but we remember it. And we move forward in a life that's pleasing to Jesus because of his work that we have done. We are objects of his great love, his rich mercy, and his immeasurable grace. I'm God's workmanship. I'm created in Christ Jesus for good works. I have value. I have purpose. I have responsibility. How do I live my life? Point number two. How do I go on in this new life? How do I walk? Well, that's the rest of Ephesians. And I don't have time to get, go into all of that. But let me, let me give you five things it says. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, Walk worthy of your calling. Now that you know who you are, now that you know your identity, walk worthy of it. You were called to be like Christ. Walk worthy of it. Chapter 4, verse 17, don't walk in futility. It's so easy for us to look around the world and to be part of it. We're no longer part of it. We are a people of heaven. We are citizens of heaven. We are seated at God's right hand with Jesus. We have hope. We don't have to walk in futility. Chapter 5, verse 1, walk in love as Christ loved us. Chapter 5, verse 8, walk in light. We are children of the light. Chapter 5, verse 15, walk carefully, knowing the times we live in. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your life. Walk carefully. Walk circumspectly. So now that you know who you are, here's how to live your life, those five things. And read, read Ephesians over the next week and see how those things are described. And now my last point. This is a bit of a hard one, but I want to I get through this with us because I think it's very important. As I look back at 2021 and what we all went through, I can't help but feel that we as a country, even a state, even a city, are more divided, more hateful, more judgmental than ever before. I've never seen anything like it. It scares me. And it's not just the world. It's not just unbelievers acting this way. Christians have been caught up in it. And we see the rhetoric and we see the things written. And what we see is a lot of angry babies going around looking for a fight. 
It's as if Christians think it's up to them to act out the wrath of God upon everybody else. That's not our job. That's not what we're created for. I don't think that's the work that God has prepared beforehand that we should live in or walk in. Paul says in Romans 12, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. So we must go back to first principles. Who is God? What is his identity? How does he act? And what does that mean for us? If we are children of God, sons and daughters of the creator, if we are created in Christ Jesus, then we need to act like our father. Not in wrath. That's his special work, his strange work, his personal work. We must, as Christians, be rich in mercy, great in love, immeasurably rich in grace towards our brothers and sisters in Christ, and to the people, the world around us, understanding that they are lost, that they are dead in trespasses and sins, that they are controlled by the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we have work to do, not to judge them, not to hate them, not to run from them, not to point the finger at them, no. We have to advance the kingdom. We have the gospel to bring. (laughs) We want to help as many people find and follow Jesus in mercy, in love, in grace, in kindness. That's the work that God prepared for us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for who you are and what you've done. We thank you that you saved us, that you rescued us, that you purchased us, that you redeemed us, that you made us alive in Christ. Help us to do the work prepared for us from before the foundations of the world. Help us to live out the gospel. Help us to advance your kingdom. Help us to live in grace and love and mercy and kindness through your son, Jesus. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.